Um, earlier, I did a video. Uh, I wasn't live, but I want to talk about it because I don't know if you've noticed, Walker. It's like the corporate media is painting a picture that Senator Elizabeth Warren has totally reinvented the wheel on all things grassroots fundraising, all things political revolution. It's like they've never heard of somebody in a couple years ago that did did no private fundraisers, uh, had an average donation of $27, and uh, they're making it seem like she's revolutionary. Now, I got my issues with Warren. I've already said some of the viewers don't like it. Me personally, me personally, uh, I would vote for her versus Trump. I'm not telling viewers what to do, but me personally, I don't think she's as bad as Hillary Clinton. I don't think she's as bad as Biden or Kamala Harris, but we're not there yet. She's not the nominee. I don't frankly think she will be the nominee, but I wanna show one clip uh, and then Walker and I are gonna to respond to show you kind of this media narrative that's been happening uh, the last few days uh, about Elizabeth Warren. Bear with me, folks. She's also her fundraising hall. It's pretty extraordinary. And Steve, it does prove your point, uh, something that you've said throughout this process that yes, the bundlers are so important, the big money givers are so important, but just as important, these candidates' ability to raise a lot of money uh, actually online. And Elizabeth Warren's numbers, boy, uh, very dramatic, dramatic because uh, not only did she easily bypass Kamala Harris, but also Bernie Sanders. Who would have believed that several months ago? Yeah, Joe. Well, first, I think you were exactly right when you talked about the fact that people were paying attention to her on the campaign trail. And she did something that, honestly, I would not necessarily have predicted, which is she went kind of through the policy door. Her mantra was, I have a plan. Her famous refrain has become, I have a plan. She has a plan for everything. We may or may not like it or agree with it. But it seems that the public has bought into that idea that she is someone with ideas who's going to get things done. And secondly, to your other point about where the money came from, it is a, fa it is a fact that she raised this from individual donors. She's had something like 450,000 unique individual donors in this campaign. And just to put that in a frame of reference, as everyone I think knows, you needed 65,000 donors to get on the debate stage for the first debate, you know, 130,000 uh, to get it on the second debate. And so she has massively outperformed those criteria. And another uh, factoid for you, her average average donation was about $28. For Mayor Pete and for Biden, the average donation was about $49. And so obviously they were depending more on big money. The only one who went, who was below her was actually Sanders at $18. So he still very much is get, getting that money from the people. But when you sum this all up, I think what you see now is that within that progressive wing of basically Sanders and Warren, it's clearly Warren who now has the momentum. You get the point there. That's Morning Joe, the cocktail crowd. What I found so interesting about that is they're making it seem, A, like she has, is doing something revolutionary. In fairness, I give credit. She has not done any private fundraisers that we know about. Uh, she's not taking Wall Street money, at least now. Uh, she said, general election, I might, because we don't want to unilaterally disarm. Yeah, the, 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 the dis, this disarmament line, gotta love it. Right. They've been using that since, like, what, 2006? Like, right. there, I remember there was a John Stewart, like, uh, he was talking about Nancy Pelosi and, and how, like, she was saying, we got to get money out of politics. And he had pointed out, like, oh, well, you took the most money of, of anybody. And she's like, yeah, but, you know, it's bad for them. Right. And he compared it to ice cream, right? right. Like, like, it's bad for them, but we know it's bad, so it's not bad for us. And that's what a crazy person says. Right. But I'm saying, uh, 
Warren's not my first choice, but she is. She did have a good uh, second quarter. When I say second quarter, it's April, May, and June. So, but what I find so interesting is MSNBC, CNN, New York Times, they got a lot more resources than little old Jordan and status quo. So I said to myself, wait a minute. Yeah, Bernie, uh, Warren raised more money than Bernie, a million dollars. In politics, that's not much. In real life, a lot. Um, but what are what is the context of that? Not just Warren, but what is the context of say Mayor Pete raised more than Bernie these last three months? Wait, can we, wait, can wait. we just can we... one sec, one sec? Mayor Pete raised more money than um, Bernie the last three months. So did Biden. What is the context? So I looked at the information that Bernie Sanders' campaign had put out, and they hadn't put out how many individual donors Bernie Sanders had in the second quarter. And I thought, that's strange. Uh, I don't know if it was an oversight on their part or they chose not to, whatever. I reached out to their campaign because it hadn't been reported yet. How many individual donors did he have? Well, what do you know when you actually reach out in journalism? You could really accomplish a lot of things. Uh, an assist to Ty, who made this wonderful graphic. So we got in the left column, yeah, you know, Judge, uh, 24.8 million. Uh, yeah, if you have 50 fundraisers with well, right. He's Wall Street backpats. 4% nationally, and he raised more than anyone else. How does a small town, and, and when I say small town, I mean, Buttigieg is the, uh, he is the mayor of a town with a population of like 100,000 people. How does a small town mayor, who nobody, by the way, is asking, is this person qualified to be president, having only been a small town mayor uh, of a gentrifying town? The Walker, he talks he's so nicely. Four percent. He talks so warmly and nicely. Four percent. Four percent, and he raises more than anybody else. I'm sorry, but that should tell. That tells you, I I think, in my mind, everything you need to know about his candidacy. Right there, it tells you who his donors are. Um, what his what his uh, you know his mindset is when it comes to raising money, and how he's going to govern because who the people are that he's surrounding himself with. Let's go through this because you know I think as a journalist it's kind of important not instead of pushing narratives to just report actual numbers and facts. And I don't even think fundraising is the most important thing, but let's let's put it this way: Buddha Judge, twenty four point eight million. Obviously, if you have fifty fundraisers with max donations as an entry fee, max donations meaning $2,800, you're going to make a lot of money. Same thing, Biden, a lot of big Wall Street fundraisers. I've been reporting on it. Others have been reporting on it. He basically told Wall Street, nothing's going to change if I'm president. Your standard of living will be great. It won't change. And you guys are patriots and blah, 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 blah. blah. Explicitly, not basically. Right. right. Basically, I'm going to get demonetized for this. He basically sucked Wall Street's so now we go through the numbers, if I can find it again. All right, Warren, 19.1 million, Sanders, 18 million, Harris, 12 million. So now the most important thing, which I don't know why Bernie's campaign didn't put this out, but I got it from them anyway. So Buttigieg, 294,000 donors, unique donors. Uh, Biden, 256,000 unique. Warren, 384,000. Bernie Sanders, 450,000 unique donors in the second quarter. Harris, 279,000. So you see a pattern. The people that are raising more from large donors are raising that large, that, that, that money is being raised from fewer actual donors, but they're getting the most max donations. So 
Buttigieg, Biden, Harris. That is not the makings of grassroots support. That's why their average donation is all higher because right. they're getting more not, max donations. This is not what movement politics looks like for when it comes, you know, if you look at Buttigieg, if you look at Biden, if you look at Harris, that's not, those aren't, that's not movement politics. Uh, I think what, where Sanders stands apart from the rest of the field is that he's a real, he's a movement man. He's somebody who's going to go to D.C. and he's going to use the public uh, sentiment that he, and, and public support that he has to lean on his opponents. And I think Warren, too, um, uh, might also govern in a, in a similar fashion, maybe to a lesser degree. I don't know. Um, her comment about, you know, uh, we can't unilaterally disarm is sort of problematic. But what I think is so problematic, I'd love your thoughts, Walker, you know, I, I have no problem giving Elizabeth Warren credit. Like, yeah, she raised a million dollars more. She definitely has some momentum. But when you look at the totality of the money here, that clip I showed you where he, he pointed out she's gotten 450,000 unique donors. That's total for the whole campaign, quarter one and quarter two. Bernie Sanders got 450,000 right, just for the second quarter. Nobody's even close to Sanders when it comes to a movement. But that's not the narrative you're hearing well, of in corporate outlets. Because, because they're looking at polling, um, which tend to undersample younger people, which is Sanders' strongest base. And that's not to say that's not to say that the polling is, you know, inaccurate, but it also doesn't necessarily translate to uh, votes. You could like a candidate a lot. People could like Biden. A lot of people do like Biden. They think he's a good man, uh, a decent man fundamentally when you strip away the politics. Except, uh, except the protesters, protesters that stormed his Philadelphia office today, which we'll get to. Why you got to do that to me? I hear I am trying to make a point. You just dropped the counterpoint in. Go ahead. We're gonna, all right. So look, there are, yes, despite protests and whatnot, there are people who do not like, uh, who do like Joe Biden a lot. They And as a, as a person, that doesn't mean they're going to throw money at his campaign. That doesn't mean, you know, that doesn't mean they're going to go vote for him or they're going to try to bring people to the polls with them to vote for him, which is a really important thing if you're running for office. You got to get. You got to not just inspire voters to go to the polls, but you got to inspire voters to like get their family and their friends. And this is this is a big area where Hillary Clinton failed. You know, progressives turned out for Hillary, but they didn't bring their friends. Right. They weren't super inspired. But what I think is so telling about this, and again, uh, as far as I know, we're the first one to report this. By any objective measure, you look at this graphic. Okay, the left column, on the surface, yeah, Bernie ranked fourth in amount raised because he's getting more actual unique donors. That's human beings that have hearts, lungs, whatever. He's getting more people to actually donate at a lower average donation, $18. So of all these candidates, Bernie Sanders, just objectively by the numbers, has the most donors. He also, in the second quarter, had one million total donations. So unique donors is how many people are donating and donations is how many actual donations. Because So if Walker is one person, you could donate theoretically times. 50 times, 100 times, as long as you don't reach the max, go over the max 2,800. So at the bottom, this is the most important for the entire campaign, quarter one, quarter two, 
Bernie has raised more than any candidate with a total of two million overall donations. I looked, if somebody wants to correct me, that is a record. And he, by the way, we're talking six months, so January, February, March, April, May, June. He started his campaign at the end of February. So he's, raised, he's, he's received two million donations in four months. Why this is so important? When you, the, 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 the corporate media and the corporate democratic establishment, and they really work hand in hand, what they're trying to push is Bernie's time is done. He's fading. The, the mojo is gone. The, 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 the uh, feel the burn is yesterday. Well, because all these other candidates are here and they've, they've adopted his platform. He's already won, so hand him the symbolic victory. He's already won. And look, that's, I think it's sort of a ridiculous narrative because like, the, the same things that, that, power, that powered his candidacy in 2016 are there today. The same problems are there today. 78% of full-time workers live paycheck to paycheck. 40% of Americans struggle to afford one base, at least one basic necessity. Uh, there are kids rationing insulin and, and dying. Like this is, these are, these are problems that, that persist. Uh, they have not gone away. They have gotten worse under Trump. Um, and so there's no reason to think that people would, you know, turn away from, from a candidate who has been basically talking about those problems for 40 years, especially when the people who have now adopted that platform have been talking about it for two years. Right. Or, or less. I mean, to Warren's credit, again, Warren has been talking about these issues for a long time as well. And it would be unfair to say that she has not. Uh, maybe her solutions are less progressive than Sanders. They certainly aren't as big. Uh, but she has been talking about these issues. She has a different approach to solving them. I heard somebody... Uh, but, Excuse me, I'm borrowing from somebody. I, I'm not um, crediting him because I forget the guy's name. But I heard somebody say, the difference between Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, and I think there's more than just this, Elizabeth Warren wants to regulate the market. Bernie Sanders wants to fundamentally rethink the market. Right. Right. It's, a, it's a dif the difference between a regular, regulatory state and a welfare state. Right. Um, and I, I tend to be more in the latter category, I think that bigger solutions are, are needed. Um, it doesn't mean that I'm not excited by the fact that the two candidates that seem, in my opinion, to have the most steam are two progressive candidates. I mean, Sanders and Warren, to me, have the most steam in this race. I could be wrong. I think Warren's, Warren's support is not necessarily from capital P progressives. She has, she's picking off some older establishment traditional liberal voters. Uh, however, the bottom line is they're essentially, you want to talk about Kellyanne Conway and alternative facts, which has been rightly slammed. The media is creating alternative facts. They are reporting the fundraising numbers as well as the polling, leaving out the fact that he's out fundraising every single candidate for the totality of the campaign. He's got more individual donors. He's double individual donors than Warren. Warren has total unique individual donors, meaning people that have donated 450,000 for the entire campaign. Bernie Sanders has 925,000 individual donors for a total number of donations, 2 million. He's smoking Elizabeth Warren. It's not to take away from the, uh, three, the recent three months where she has done well, but the numbers are the numbers. Any objective person that's looking here would say, 450,000, I believe, is more people than 384,000, correct me if I'm wrong. 
a million donations is more than 683,000. But if you hear Morning Joe, uh, CNN, MSNBC, Bernie's fading, Warren has the momentum, you know, somebody mentioned the establishment is more friendly to Warren. This is now the second to third story I've seen in two weeks that Wall Street is warming up to Elizabeth Warren. And they used, they used to call Elizabeth Warren like Lucifer. Right. Uh, and, and I don't think I don't think that Wall Street would be happy well with a with a Warren presidency, and I think that may be an over you know an, an underestimation of her on their part. But I think that they are so afraid of Bernie Sanders that they will take anybody, and if it looks like she can you know sap support away from him and then lose to one of their preferred candidates, and I think that that would be the. I totally disagree with you, and I'll explain why. I just want to read uh, a few lines of this. This is from Fortune. There's, new, there's a new whisper on Wall Street. Maybe Elizabeth Warren isn't so bad. The Democratic senator who rose to national prominence by calling for tough regulation after the financial crisis is winning respect from a small but growing circle of senior bankers and hedge fund managers. Oh, boy. As the presidential candidate for Massachusetts takes aim at the rich and powerful with a slew of tax-raising policy proposals, some financial types who fit the description say she's proven capable and makes some good points. Quote, if she ends up being the nominee, I have no trouble supporting her at all, said David Shamus, chief investment officer of Atlas Merchant Capital, where he's a founder and partner alongside former Barclays uh, PC ahead, Bob Diamond. While, warning, while, Warner, while Warren isn't Shami's top choice, he said, I think she's smart, hardworking, responsible, and thoughtful, and I think she thinks markets are important. So that's, the, that's it. I've yeah. heard variations of this comment, and Politico had a story on this couple of weeks ago uh, that the establishment is willing to compromise on Elizabeth Warren. Let me tell you what I think is going on and I'd like your thoughts. Wall Street and special interests are very good at understanding people that will work within the system. And what work within the system actually means is work with the donors. I don't think Elizabeth Warren is corrupt. I don't think she's Hillary Clinton, but she's already said some things and done some things that signal she is not as viscerally anti-money in politics as Bernie Sanders is. You either believe to your core that money is poisoning our democracy because we don't have one anymore, maybe we never did, or you don't. If you believe to your core that money is uh, the root of all evil and we cannot suffocate the political system with it, then you don't say things like, well, I'm open for business during the general uh, and yada, yada, yada. I think that Wall Street is placing their bets Fair. They don't want Elizabeth Warren. Uh, they, they, they definitely, I think their first choice is Kamala Harris, then Biden, then Pete, and so on. But what I think is going on is they know they've already seen, well, she was reaching out to Hillary Clinton's campaign in 2015 to take meetings and, and make, make a deal there. She didn't, she sat out on Bernie versus Hillary. She's done a lot of things that are politically calculating. So Wall Street is seeing a signal not that their respect that she believes in markets, they're seeing a signal. Warren, she has a tough fight, but she's not going to, she'll water things down. She's not going to, you we'll know. We'll have more of a seat at the table with the Warren administration than the Sanders administration. I think, but, I think you're underscoring it. I think I, it's not just a seat. I think mm-hmm. they think she's not going to fight as hard for the things she's proposing and she'll make deals. Well, right. She's AKA more, water things right. down. She's, she's more open to and look, I, I don't know, and I don't, I, I mean, we, we don't. It's all speculation. Yeah, right. It's all speculation. We don't, we don't know. It, it, that could be, it could also be that it's a 
big miscalculation and that and Warren and Sanders, no matter which one, you know, prevails uh, or if, you know, that they're still going to be. I mean, I, I think that if Warren were the president, I, I don't think that Sanders wouldn't have a consulting role to play. Like, I just I just don't believe that. But um, but I, I did want to address this money in politics point, because it's something that we throw around all the time. Everybody talks about the, the, the influence of money in politics and it's it's corrosive and whatnot. Um, and I just wish that we would talk about it, you know, with a little more, like, nuance, perhaps, is the wrong word, but nuance is the word I'm going to go with. The fact that, like, on the one hand, uh, you're spending money to elevate this platform, which is, which could be political spending. What do you mean? I mean, the, the money that you're spending to, am, to amplify this, this platform, this would constitute outside, this could constitute outside political spending. You're a media company. But at the same time, you get into the politics. Like, there should be caps on what, I mean, I think media companies should be excluded. But like, I don't get what you mean, the, the, spending, uh, spending money for... I, I mean that when you, when you advertise your program, we don't want a, a regimen that would crack down on this. Mm -hmm. Like so, money in politics is is bad, and it's bad when it influences, you know, politicians, and it's bad that people can spend unlimited sums of money. But it is a complicated issue to regulate, and I think, and I think that Warren's approach, I don't think she's anti-regulating money in, in politics. In politics, I just I don't believe that. I think that may I think that the big point here that, that we're making is that Warren may be more open and less dogmatic in these fights than Sanders, and that's a very real concern. But at the end of the day, I I do worry that some of the rhetoric getting thrown around about Warren is that she is you know just a just a puppet that she's you know, and that hasn't really been her career trajectory. It hasn't. And I think that that's important to, to say. Anyway, but well, where yeah. I disagree with you is, I think why I am so, uh, you know, I don't, I don't hide. I personally support Bernie. I, I think I've made it clear I don't like screw with facts to support Bernie. I would never like intentionally um, not report something if it was bad against him. I just report based on facts. But I, I unlike yeah, I unlike <laughs> CNN and MSNBC don't pretend to be unbiased. I am biased. I like Bernie personally. Uh, I like his policies. And also my worldview, being a progressive, informs the stories I cover and where we go in the field. With that said, to me, I think at the end of the day, you either understand that capitalism itself is evil and cannot be regulated because it is an evil system. Uh, that is my opinion. It has done an incredible amount of damage uh, basically since the 1970s, which by the way, it's not as complicated as you think to regulate money in politics because it once was. Well, you put you put caps on it, right? But, but you, yeah, you, you do run into First Amendment issues when you get to right. But my point is, we didn't have this runaway train before like the mid nineteen seventies. But that's a, but that was when we started trying to regulate it. Then then you had the court. No, case we already had strong regulations in place with the with PACs and lobbying and all those things. It started to unravel. You didn't you didn't have limits on how much people could spend on on like outside spending. Right. And, that, and once once you got that, you got a Supreme Court case that overturned that, and then you had the then you had the 
rich people are like, oh, floodgates are open. Well, I think there's two separate topics, and I'm seeing this comment a lot from our from our viewers. But I think there's two separate things. Number one, what do we think the media's motivations here is? Because they have been propping up Warren. There's no doubt about that. Of course. And, but, but that's that. I mean, wait, that wait, wait. to be expected. And number two, Warren, uh, I have said personally, and a lot of you might not like it. Uh, you've expressed it. I personally would vote for her. I don't tell you who to vote for. Vote for whoever you want. But I'd vote for her because I don't think we should be so extreme and say, oh, she's just another, she's not Hillary Clinton. She's not Kamala Harris. She's not Joe Biden. She would be way more progressive, at least economically. I think she's a disaster foreign policy. On, let's, let's not get into that. On, <laughs> that, on, that, that uh, is, her foreign policy is a mess. On economic issues. But we don't even need to get into it because I really don't think she's going to be the nominee. With that said, I do think the corporate media is trying to prop her up to try and diminish and eventually knock Bernie out. And if they do that, I think they're going to turn on her lickety split. That's, oh, yeah. That it's divide and conquer, basically. The other thing is, to me, the biggest thing about Elizabeth Warren is, I don't care what candidates say during campaigns. I really don't. I don't care what her proposals are during the campaign. I care what her record is and what her history is, because that's how you know if they're actually going to stand by the things they're proposing. When Hillary Clinton started, you know, proposing a little bit more liberal, progressive things in the campaign. I, I didn't even bother reading it because I knew she and Mitt Romney used to go to the beach with their flip-flops, that, that level of flip-floppery. So I don't really care what Elizabeth, I mean, she has good plans. A lot of them are fine. But what is her history? Well, her history is this. When she came into the Senate, she was a firecracker. She was a firebrand. I remember the speech that went viral. You didn't, you know, you didn't get rich on your own. Your goods went yep. to market on the streets. She was very, very progressive. But as she went, she started showing more political calculation. To me... She worked with the Obama administration, which didn't hold anybody accountable. Right. And yeah. And by the way, I don't think compromise is a dirty word. If Bernie Sanders became president, I got news for you folks, he's going to have to compromise. The difference is, do you compromise 75% of what you want right out of the gate, like Obama did? Or do you say, you do you start with the most progressive proposal, you stand by your convictions, you enlist your political army. Bernie has a political army. Elizabeth Warren does not. She just doesn't. Bernie Sanders, and this is where Obama failed also, Obama had a political army yeah, organizing for America. He had the largest grassroots movement in history, and he did nothing, nothing. with it. He, nothing. He, he, in fact, he left them at the door. He's like, okay, now I'm in. All right, see you guys later. So I think to me, Listen, would Warren as president be Hillary Clinton as president? No. But my point is, I don't trust Elizabeth Warren the same way I do Bernie Sanders to fight for what she's talking about. I also think, frankly, she has a more, because she was at Harvard, she has a, Harvard, she has a more academic view of markets and the economy and this and that. And I think in some cases it's a little naive. Because at the end of the day, you're up against the most greedy, powerful forces on planet Earth and that is the American oligarchy. They don't want their markets regulated at all, and they will fight to the deaths, and you see it in your life. So I, I just, think she's- I don't a, see her taking on her own party. That's, 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 where, it, problem, that's yeah. where it really, come, what it comes down to for me, uh, when I look at these two candidates side by side, and I, I'm like, which one? It's not that, you know, as I was saying, I don't think that Warren is, a, is, a, is, a, is like a puppet or anything, but I do look at her and I think that she is somebody that doesn't really challenge, she's not really willing and hasn't shown a willingness to buck her own party um, when it comes to 
uh, getting what fighting for what she wants. And that's a problem because, as somebody said, she was absent on, on the Dakota Access Pipeline. She was. Uh, she was absent in 2016. She had the she had a candidate that was running that that was closely aligned with everything that she'd you know been been talking about for years. She didn't endorse him. Um, I think that her political calculus leans towards uh, timidity, and I think that that's problematic. I do think that she has some uh, idea of how to craft legislation. I don't think that that's really a problem, but but it. You know, getting to the timidity thing, her college, her college debt forgiveness plan caps at fifty thousand uh, dollars. I, you know, I was fortunate enough to not have college debt. I have law school debt, but I didn't have college debt. But my, had I had college debt, one year of my college was that. Would it would have capped at that? You know, and like, then that's not. You know, and that's for a lot of people. A lot of schools have 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 uh, tuition costs that exceed the 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 cap for her forgiveness plan. So like, right. there's a limitation I think to her vision that is very troubling. I but agree. I do think that she would fight like hell for for higher taxes on the wealthy. I do think that she would, you know, regulate the hell out of derivatives and 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 uh, gambling on Wall Street. I think that she's got a good sense there. I think and there's a difference. I think there's a difference between. She'll try and she will. She's not going to fight the corporate Democratic Party, who's not going to suddenly be like, they're still going to be in the tank for Wall Street. Bernie Sanders will. No matter how many people show up for the early uh, voting or the early or virtual caucusing, whatever they call it, only 10% of the delegates can be reward, awarded that way. So even if the um, a campaign does really good, a good job at turning out the people at, at the virtual, that's only 10%. So they have, it puts the campaigns in a position where they need to strategize by getting 10% of their people to go to one thing and then 90% to the other thing. And I think that's just unnecessarily uh, complicated. Um, that basically, that kind of, that's kind of ableist, don't you think? Like, because the whole point is to make this process to be inclusive for folks. Right. And then the you've basically capped the thing that's supposed to be inclusive for folks. Yeah. So even if as many people, and I'm just going to throw out candidate names because I'm not, I'm not making any predictions, but let's say that as many people turn out for Bernie as turn out for... Harris, Harris, okay. But then Bernie's people come out predominantly for the early, and Harris is for the actual traditional caucus day, then it would be 90-10. Yes. Um, so it's just going to take a lot of organizing efforts by the campaigns, but I think that it, it could lead to some uh, chicanery. That sounds like it's going to go wonderfully. Nobody knows what the hell is the process. By the way, if you if you don't know yet, they're in Nevada. So they're talking about Nevada. Uh, they were talking in the beginning of that clip about uh, the Nevada caucus, but the guy uh, that Marcus was interviewing, he's from Iowa originally, they were expressing concerns about Iowa. So let's go through the list here. Iowa, uh, supposedly the virtual caucus is only gonna count for 10% of the overall caucus and the 90% the 90%, the, the remaining, is going to be traditional in-person caucus. But what the guy was pointing out there is, what if, uh, what if 
the majority of like Bernie supporters do it online versus Harris supporters do it in person. Well, the in-person caucus is going to be weighted much more than the online caucus. Uh, I think to tell you the truth, who does stuff more online, older people or younger people? Hmm. Hmm. Oh, you want an answer? Yeah. Oh, I have no idea. Right. Uh, it's just, it, you know, I mean, young people are so notoriously bad with technology, they have to get help from a grandparent. To, right. You know. So, also, the one in Nevada, and I could be wrong, but as of last week, they didn't even have a vendor yet for uh, handling the virtual online caucus. Uh, I want to know who that vendor is because there's been some reporting out there in 2016. There were uh, voting vendors that had ties to the Democratic Party and the DNC. So bottom line, you're basically for the election that the Democratic Party, they always say this is the most important in our lifetime, but it's a very important, it's, it's a very important election. You're basically in Iowa, and I spoke with an Iowa activist yesterday who's trying to get me more on the record uh, statements. He said it's a, it's a disaster waiting to happen. And essentially, they're not even guaranteeing that they're going to do a test run before the Iowa caucus. Same thing with the Nevada caucus. The Nevada Democratic Party will not answer Marcus, who's based in Nevada, at all. He has asked them, who is the vendor going to be? What are the safeguards that are going to be put in place so there's no shenanigans? What is the oversight and accountability for this um, virtual caucus that we've never done before? Nevada Democratic Party will not give him an answer. Uh, Iowa, uh, Marcus is starting to get contacts in Iowa. Again, he's based in Nevada. But in Iowa, to me, I don't know if they have a vendor for this yet. Same questions. Will there be a test run? You, you're doing this for the first time. What is, how are you going to know it works? Uh, what is the accountability? What is the oversight? None of these questions have been answered. And the only things I have seen out there about these virtual caucuses are basically a bunch of PR releases that give zero information. It is now July, almost middle of July. The Iowa caucus is February. The Nevada caucus is February. So we're basically eight months out. That doesn't seem, if, if you want to give them the benefit of the doubt and say, well, they're not intentionally trying to rig it. Okay, but this it, is it grossly just, incompetent. It just, well, it, it, it does sound, it does. It, it sounds uh, like it's going to be a clusterfuck, <laughs> and 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 so um, that's going to require campaigns to do a lot more organizing. And I, I mean, I'm I would venture to guess that there's not a single campaign out there that's really excited to deal with a virtual caucus and then a then an in-person caucus and like I don't I don't know I don't understand. I'd also change. I don't know why they did it. And also, the reason they're doing this, or the reason they're saying they're doing this, is to so that the elderly, handicapped, don't get disenfranchised who can't come down in person. But why couldn't you do something like early voting for them or something you could figure out that doesn't basically completely change the entire system uh, of the caucus? Or just make it an open primary. Even better. I mean, caucuses notoriously disenfranchise people, so you know that's not to and and that's not to diminish people who win caucuses by large numbers. Bernie, it's just to point out that caucuses do tend to disenfranchise people. 
But I got news for you. The local, if you think the DNC is corrupt federally, uh, your, your, locals, your local Democratic parties, I'm sure you know, for those of you that are activists watching, are not, exact, are not exactly like for the proletariat. There's a, there's a lack of transparency about what's going, how these are going to work, who the vendors are, what the safeguards in place are, who's overseeing it, because I don't want it to be the actual state parties overseeing it, or the DNC. It needs to be a neutral, an actual neutral uh, professional company overseeing this. Because frankly, you think the Russians are the biggest threat to our democracy? Th these numbers online can be played with any way you smoke it. And I think you're a little bit more less cynical than I am, but I've seen a lot of shit out on the road. And there's a lot of shenanigans that go on. And shenanigans is a, is a nice way of saying it. Um, sure. For, in these primaries. Thank you, Tammy Cavello, 10 bucks in the super chat. Nico House did a really good video about this. Okay, go watch that. Um, so, uh, I don't know. Marcus is going to keep digging on this. Obviously, we're trying to investigate and break some news here, either on Nevada or really Iowa. It's good to find out what safeguards... Those are simple questions. These should not be difficult questions that, that they get all cagey about. But it's, it's so typical Democrats. I'm sorry. But at every level of government, caginess is what they... Is the, is the MO. But also, I think something else they might be trying to do here, and, and stay with me, folks. The virtual caucus, uh, particularly in Iowa, I think it's going to be a mishmash, mostly over the phone. It's not going to be held of, in over one day. It's going to be held. It's going to be a process. This isn't going to work. It's going to be a process. <laughs> it's going to be a process where uh, it, I think it's for at least a week to two weeks. So you're telling me that the virtual caucus, which is not held on the day of the caucus, it's going to be, I think, for a few weeks before uh, people phoning in and whatever. Uh, we'll get the details once we have them. Well, you're telling me that we're not going to get a breaking news alert? Joe Biden is up, for, uh, you know, 40 to 10 based on the early caucus, uh, the virtual caucus or whatever, as a way to suppress the vote on caucus day. We saw that in California. Uh, California primary, where the Associated Press basically declared Hillary Clinton the winner of the whole thing before primary before, day. Before there is a huge potential for that to happen, where it's kind of similar to early voting. Uh, you know, media outlets report, well, uh, so-and-so candidate is doing very well in early voting, but in this case, potentially, they could be simply, basically reporting who's, who's so far in first place, by what percentage, and this and that which would go to suppressing the vote, I think. That's, that's possible. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to exactly march down that road, but I, I, I think that it's something to watch out for. I think safeguards are important, and I think that media narrative um, is something to keep in check, when, mm -hmm. especially, especially that, 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 that uh, statistic that only, you know, it's weighted so heavily in favor of the in-person caucus that's something that's important to keep in mind and to get out there if if that media narrative starts, that the winner of the virtual caucus is doing super well. Unless it's somebody that you like, in which case tout the virtual caucus because that's how politics work. Right. Oh boy. We're already hearing uh, we're already hearing from the same establishment tools. Stop fighting. We need to be united as a party. All these, which is basically fall in line, fall in line, fall in line. We're already hearing, uh, don't attack Joe Biden. Uh, we're already hearing, don't attack each other. We need to be strong. We need to be a united party. And Nancy Pelosi, apparently Nancy Pelosi can attack whoever she wants. 
but progressives need to shut up and take it. This is just this is the typical Democratic line, and this is a problem with the party that well, like. Can it, I can I tell them what happened in the behind the closed doors meeting today, and then you can respond. Long story short, Pelosi uh, over the weekend. Pelosi did an interview with the New York Times. Uh, she basically again dismissed Ocasio Cortez, uh, Rashida Tlaib, Ayanna Presley, and uh, Ilhan Omar as these are just four people and they have their Twitter and basically just shitting on them, for lack of a better word. Uh, and then uh, uh, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio Cortez responded, uh, basically tweeting like uh, that thing you call um, that whatever is called public sentiment. Yeah, that, oh yeah, that thing you call Twitter, and, and that is called public sentiment. It's kind of important to creating change in the country. Well, ooh, uh, Empress Pelosi, she doesn't like that talk back. She's like a mother, don't you talk back to me or I'll put soap in your mouth, which my mother did often when I was a kid. So after all that, Pelosi had a private meeting with her caucus, including the progressives, and basically told them, cut it out, no more tweets, you got, a, you got a complaint, you come and talk to me about it, Pelosi told Democrats, according to a source in the room. But do not tweet about our members and expect us to think that that is just okay. So basically, she's saying, I do what I want. Loyalty, loyalty, loyalty. It's the, it is the lifeblood of the Democratic Party post-Clinton. It is this idea that comes from the top and goes down to the local level that if you dissent, you are disloyal and that cannot be tolerated. The Democrats must put forward a united front. Um, and, and really, I think this, this, this uh, is ridiculous because dis dissent and discussion is how you avoid things like groupthink. And, and if I had to give a modern example of groupthink, it would be, well, only a centrist candidate who does exactly what Hillary Clinton did in 2016 is electable. Like that's, but it, you know, with a, with a few tweaks, but like, it's, it's very frustrating and it feels very high school and it feels very petty. And frankly, if you look at Pelosi's record, I, I summed this up today on, on my Twitter, but if you go through her, what she's done as speaker, uh, you start off with Pago. That, that rule that Pelosi insisted on that all that all new uh, that that all new spending all spending had to be offset by spending cuts. Uh, she caved on DACA early on. Joy Reid called it a bold fold. <laughs> I'm still waiting on the final deal. I'm still waiting to find out who hacked Joy Reid's blog. She caved on. And what happened to the FBI investigation? Go on. She caved on uh, the Yemen resolution. She she allowed. Uh, Ken Buck, Republican Ken Buck, to water down the Yemen resolution, adding in uh, an amendment that basically allows for the United States to continue, even if even if they stop supporting the Saudi war effort, they could continue doing intelligence sharing operations, um, which is defined pretty broadly. Uh, she caved on concentration camp funding. Um, that's that's another troubling thing. She's no on impeachment uh, proceedings. She's no, uh, she's, she's got no ground shifting legislation um, passed. I mean, there's HR1, that's, that's good, but it's not fundamentally like earth shifting. Like, if she passed like a Medicare for all bill, that would change the conversation on healthcare instantly. 
she's not she's not passing free tuition free college or any of that stuff. Uh, she passed a bill subsidizing natural gas infrastructure in Europe, and she's constantly punching left. And now she doesn't want to take any action on Secretary Acosta. So Pelosi. Pelosi framed herself as like a transitional speaker when she was like, when she was running and trying to get the votes. Um, she said that she would only be in for a short time, I think, which was code for progressives just aren't ready to leave yet. But left Twitter, people, people on the left knew exactly what kind of speaker she would be. And at every step of, at every step of her speakership, they've been proved right. So it's well, frustrating. It's it's disappointing. Uh, it's it's political theater. There's no real resistance to Trump from the Democratic leadership. Uh, and those four women that she singled out have done more in a few months than she's done in her entire career to to push a progressive agenda. And I and I welcome anyone to try to disprove that. Basically, what she said as a Speaker of the House, I'll speak. You shut the fuck up. That's what she's saying. And what I find so interesting about this, Nancy Pelosi knows exactly what she's doing. She knows, I mean, I'm not saying the Speaker of the House, like her word, his or her words has the same weight as the president. I mean, the president's words, the stock market goes up and down, countries around the world uh, change things based on the president's words. But she knows when she is basically belittling, diminishing, minimizing, and crapping on progressives, uh, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, Congresswoman Ayanna Presley, Congressman Ro Khanna, Congressman Mark Pohan, to name a few. What she's basically signaling, she's giving the donors what they want because the donors hate AOC. They hate these new progressives almost as much as they hate Bernie Sanders. What she's also doing is telling Ocasio-Cortez and these others, you wanna have your little political revolution? You wanna have your little um, you know, tweets and followers? Okay, you think you're gonna be on these committees next term? You think you're gonna have any opportunities to do anything in this Congress? I will put you so far in the back bench. Oh, by the way, I'll also make sure your primary challenger is well-funded because obviously the corporate democratic establishment is gonna find somebody to primary Ilhan Omar, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, probably Rashida Tlaib, and uh, others I mentioned. So it's not just, she's not just saying don't tweet. There's other inferences in there and it's basically threatening them. You wanna, you wanna win on Twitter and you wanna have your little political revolution? Well, I'm gonna show you what reality is. Well, if only she would spend that much time fighting Trump or fighting for progressive causes or, you know. See, I mean, Pelosi has shown more animosity towards four women of color in her own party than she has against an, an administration that is running concentration camps along the southern border and committing genocide. I'm in the camp that disagrees with that term, but that's for another day. Go ahead. She's, it's just, if you're watching the Democratic Party as somebody who, did, uh, you, did you mention she just made this gift wrap deal to Mitch McConnell, Mitch McConnell on the border? Did you mention that? I, yeah, okay. earlier. But 
she's um, she's not really doing anything to to resist Trump. I mean, the, for all the talk of resistance and for her like golf clap or whatever that was, uh, when 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 you look at the record and you look at what she's done, she hasn't done much. She hasn't really done anything. Uh, so I don't know. It's it's disappointing because um, obviously I. I, I would like to see a stronger Democratic Party um, opposing this administration. I would like to see a more progressive Democratic Party. Um, and it, it's disheartening. And I have to wake up every day and look at my, you know, Twitter feed and be like, oh, what did Pelosi say today? Who would she go after? Oh, no surprise. She went after the same progressives. Oh, she's punching left again. Oh, like... Some, and, and what has she done on uh, health care? What has she done on, on immigration? What has she done on the environment? What has she done on, on wage stagnation or, or inequality? Nothing. I think Trump is dangerous. Just because I don't cover him 24-7 doesn't mean I don't think he's dangerous. It means I don't have anything to add that the 25,000 other people that do Trump 24-7 haven't already told you today. But what I think... What's scary to me, I want to defeat Donald Trump more than anything, to the point that I might even vote for people that I don't particularly find uh, to be acceptable, only because I put a bet, and I said this in 2016, I could deal with four years of Trump. If you put a gun to my head, I prefer four years of Trump and and an activist explosion as a result of four years of Trump than eight years of Hillary Clinton. But I think eight years of Donald Trump is a non-starter. I think somebody like Donald Trump getting reelected without the threat of um, without the threat of no election to win, I think could actually just devolve into closer comparisons with like true fascists around the country. I also think do not put it beyond Donald Trump or the Supreme Court that he has put in place to try and change the Constitution where he could serve more than two terms. I do not put that past Donald Trump at all because that's how his brain works. Uh, I also think Donald Trump un- unleashed with another term. You, you think it's bad now with these, de- uh, whatever you want to call it. You say concentration camps, I say detention centers. Um, you think that's bad now? You think the bigotry towards Muslims, towards Mexicans, towards black people, towards LGBT? Give him four more years. This is a man so, who is fomenting a crisis at the border by trying to overcrowd and and uh, you know un- and and not provide for these these facilities. Mm-hmm. I mean this 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 is a guy who is arming uh, Saudi Arabia and giving them nuclear material uh, at, while they while they wantonly commit genocide in, in Yemen. Uh, he is not he is extremely dangerous, um, and I think that that is something that can't be stressed enough. And, and I, part of the disappointment with Pelosi and, and the leadership, the, the really most of my disappointment with them, besides not fighting for progressive policies, is the fact that not fighting for these policies, I think, hinders the fight against Trump. I think that if you want to beat Trump, you have to, you have to embrace a progressive. Well, I also think that... And you have to beat him. Let's put it this way. And this is the media media environment we live in, where like things that would have been like stories still 
Donald Trump was credibly accused of rape two weeks ago. It's totally out of the news by a, by a columnist who I think two other people verified that she, she spoke up about it. I forget her name, but she said that he raped her in the uh, dressing room or, or changing room at a local department store here in New York City. Donald Trump has also been accused by 16 other women of either harassment, groping, or, or rape. So Donald Trump is a bad individual. He has authoritarian ter uh, tendencies, and I think another four years of him. I hate the corporate Democratic establishment. Don't get it twisted. But I think he is too dangerous to take that risk. Why I am so critical of Nancy Pelosi and the Democratic Party establishment? I want to get rid of Trump so bad. I am telling you. I am telling you. I am showing you. Iceberg right ahead. That is why this is so dangerous. I love that it's a yacht. Too. That is why it is so dangerous. <laughs> Colin Tooley with the amazing graphic. Colin is a great graphic designer. He makes good stuff for us. It is so dangerous to be pushing forward people that any objective person, not clouded in ideology, not clouded in delusion, not just trying to protect their own money, any objective person that understands politics and most importantly understands the mood of the country knows Joe Biden will lose to Donald Trump. It's I guarantee it. Kamala Harris, I believe, would lose to Donald Trump. Pete Buttigieg would get destroyed. I'm sorry. Uh, Warren, if you put a gun to my head, I really don't think she would beat Donald Trump. To me, I, I think Bernie Sanders is the contrast needed to defeat Donald Trump. And by the way, if you read into the polls, Bernie Sanders is the only one plucking away uh, white working class, with white working class voters with non-college degrees. That is the Trump voter. We could have a discussion about white working class and whether we should go for white working class, whatever. Point is, Bernie Sanders in a lot of these polls has been plucking away white, blue-collar workers without a college degree. That is who Trump dominated. So that's why I'm critical of them, because I think it's so dangerous for the Democratic Party to be putting forward candidates that honestly, by political history of the last decade are losers there's also there's also the moral imperative right about addressing issues like climate change and health care and inequality i mean there people are dying people are dying and if if we don't do something about climate change did you see dc washington dc just from rain yep. is now flooded yep. in many parts and flooding is becoming more normal but and coastal cities in the u.s will take a beating uh, and poor areas, people who live in the poorer areas of those cities are going to take the, the heaviest beating. And people who live in poorer countries that are vulnerable are going to suffer hugely. And we'll have refugee, you know, more more refugees from climate change. It's, it's, there is a real moral imperative to address these issues. There is uh, an urgency and... There has to be an opposition party that understands that, appreciates it, and is willing to act on it, and that is the last thing I will say about it.